Amen and amen. Well, good morning, Transit Church. How's everyone today? We good? Good, good. I see some head nods. Amen and amen. Well, as that video showed, we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Acts entitled Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 2, 14 through 21. Acts 2, 14 through 21 is where we're going to be today. And if you were here last week to kind of catch you up to speed of where we're at in our text today, is last week was the day of Pentecost. And uh, what we learned about the day of Pentecost is it was this Jewish festival of harvest, an agricultural festival where Jewish pilgrims would travel from kind of the four corners of the known world into Jerusalem to offer God the first fruits of their harvest as an offering to the Lord. And then also as a prayer that, hey, would this first fruits be indicative of the way the rest of the harvest is going to play out? And then we also saw that the believers were gathered together, what, in one accord, homothumadon. They were all together with the same passion for the Lord. So they were together. And what were they doing? They were being obedient to Jesus Christ. So they saw Jesus crucified with their own eyes. And then three days later, they saw uh, Jesus resurrected in bodily form. And what we've learned in the book of Acts is that same Jesus physically appeared in his bodily resurrected form to the early church for 40 days and kind of held a kingdom of God seminar uh, where he trained them and taught them about the kingdom of God. And then he ascended to heaven. And right before he ascended to heaven, uh, what Jesus commanded the disciples to do is say, wait in Jerusalem until what? Until you're clothed with power from on high, until you receive the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. So this is what we see the disciples doing. Jesus said, don't lift a finger towards the Great Commission until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, until the Holy the Spirit of the living God is poured out upon you. So they're having, what we saw last week is they're having a, uh, you know, the coffee and the tea is brewed. They got their Bibles and the journals open. They're having a pleasant worship gathering. And then all of a sudden, what happened last week? What did we see? Boom. Yes. In the Greek, that's actually the literal word. It's boom. And then the Holy Spirit manifests his presence, right? We saw uh, the, the presence of God fill his home, fill his residence. The church, what we saw last week, is the church is the temple of God, the place where God wants to dwell in the midst of of his people. This is what Jesus Christ accomplishes for humanity. Jesus Christ forgives us of all of our sins. That's why he died on the cross, so that our sins, which separate us from a holy God, could forever be destroyed, that the dividing wall of hostility could be dismantled, so that we can get our sins given to Jesus on the cross. He can take them from us. They're nailed to the cross. We're cleansed. We're forgiven. There's no shame. There's no condemnation for those who have received the forgiveness of Jesus. And then what happens is that we give Jesus our sin, and then in return, it's called imputation of his righteousness. We get his perfect obedience. We get his righteousness, a.k.a. Jesus makes sinners holy before the Lord. And then guess who dwells in holy places? The Holy Spirit. God, God's spirit dwells. So, so when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and receive the forgiveness of sins, what we're going to see is the way Peter ends his sermon today is then you receive the spirit of the living God inside of you, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because that is the message from start to finish of the Bible. We saw this last week. is God's relentless pursuit of dwelling in the midst of his people. In the garden, the garden is God's original intent, walking, original intent for creation, walking in the cool of the day with creation, walking and talking without any sin enters, creates a separation, and then God doesn't give up on humanity. Exodus, what happens? They build the tabernacle. Why was the tabernacle built? Because God says, I want to dwell in your presence. So then he fills, his glory fills the temple. When his glory fills the tabernacle there, 
his presence, the manifest presence of God, always appears like fire throughout Scripture, right? So in, in the day of Pentecost, in the upper room, we see fire resting above believers' heads, the, the mighty rushing wind of God's presence swooping in. It was like a, they were in the middle of a Category 5 hurricane, and all that is is the Lord moving in to his new home, that he paid a high price. We were just having a conversation in the hallway about how crazy the real estate market is right now. I was having a conversation with someone yesterday, and uh, they, got they, they gave an offer on a house over 90000 above asking price, and it got denied. No. 90K, all right? And listen, the purchase price for God's, for God's house, for, for you and I, we're temples of the living God, was the highest price that could ever be offered. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he values you. That's how much God wants to be with you, is that the Son of God would die on the cross for you so that you could receive his presence forever. That's the price that was paid on God's house. That was the purchase price. That's what Jesus did, right? And so what we saw the day of Pentecost is, is God moving into the blood-bought residence. Jesus comes, he ascends to the Father with the title and the deed of the house, and then he hands the keys to the Holy Spirit, and he says, move on in. Here it is, it's move-in date, okay? And so what happens, what that looked like, is when the Spirit of God is poured out on believers, there's fruit that manifests, there's stuff that bubbles up, and we see that the, the 120 believers, male, female, young, old, they all start speaking in different languages. That, that, so, so, like, they all start speaking in different languages, and this crowd forms around them. The crowd heard the sound of the mighty rushing wind, and then they see this scene of like a number, a multitude, probably our size, and all of a sudden, you know, we're, <laughs> when divine omnipotence meets human frailty, things kind of shake and bake a little bit, all right? And everyone's starting speaking in these different languages, and people say, oh my gosh, like they're speaking, I'm, I'm from Egypt, or I'm from, you know, the island of Crete, and all these things, and they're speaking fluently in my language, but these are a bunch of Galileans. They're speaking fluent languages that they have no foreknowledge of. Because that's the Spirit of God coming upon them. And when they're speaking those languages, they're testifying to the mighty deeds of God. Like we see in Acts 1.8. But listen, so the way we ended our talk, this is all going somewhere. It's a quick recap if you, if you missed last week's sermon. The, the, the text ends at verse 13. And we see that some were amazed and astonished. And they're like, I've never seen anything like this. This is incredible. But then some others mocked. And they said, hey, this is drunkenness. That everyone here is not filled with the Spirit of God. They're actually drunk. And that's where the sermon ends. And what we're going to see today is the first sermon Peter gives post-Pentecost. So this is Peter's famous sermon after Pentecost where 3,000 people give their life to Jesus. And um, we're breaking this up in two, in two sermons. So I'm going to do the first half, and then who, is excited about this? who here is excited about this? Joe Workman next week is going to preach the second half, right? Excited about Joe Workman? I am. Amen. So, uh, um, and, uh, so today what we're going to see is in the midst of mocking, and confusion, the once cowardly Peter who denied Jesus three times is now filled with the Spirit of God. And what's he going to do? He's received power to be a witness. So he boldly stands up. We're going to see in our text. And he says, all eyes on me. Listen up. You don't want to miss what I'm going to say because this is the most important day of your life. You can't miss what I'm saying, is what Peter is saying in our text. And he's going to explain to the Jewish believers through the Old Testament scriptures. He's saying what is, what, what's happening right now, what they're seeing and hearing, why it's happening, and what the significance of it is. And he's saying that mighty rumbling, that mighty rumbling you heard that made you all run over here, wasn't the sound of our blenders cranking out frozen margaritas at 9 a.m. That wasn't the rumbling. It was the presence of God being poured out, which is the sign of the last days in Joel chapter 2 which leads us to our text, okay? We ready? Yes, all right, so we're going to read this. 
We're going to read this out loud together, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll dive on in. Verses will be on the screen. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you grateful. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us, God. Thank you that you've gone to great, great, great lengths to be with us, Lord Jesus. We love you. We worship you. Your mercy is new every morning. Great is our gratitude and our thankfulness because our God is great. And he's been rich towards us. He's been generous towards us. He's compassionate. He's kind. He's steadfast in his love towards us. So we say thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, and everything that he's accomplished for us. And we thank you for your presence in us and among us today. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would do what only you can do, and you would just transform lives. God, help us to see Jesus. Give us eyes to rightly understand your word and your scriptures today. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would have your way. You would take over. You would lead this sermon, and you would have your way with your people today. And I ask that I would decrease and I would be forgotten, and you would blow us away with who you are, that you're the living God, you're the mighty God, and you're the God who's present with us. So we love you, Jesus, and it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, well, to frame my sermon, um, I'm just going to simply ask and answer this question. What do we learn about the significance of Pentecost in our text today? And what we're going to see is uh, in the first half of Peter's sermon that this has profound significance for our lives today, like earth-shattering implications for our life today. And the first thing that Peter hones in on is this, is that The day of Pentecost, what we see in our text, the day of Pentecost was the ushering in of, the dawning of a new era for God's people known as the last days, okay? Nobody run out of here and buy a bunch of AR-15s and MREs and freak out. Whenever we hear last days, we think of that Nicolas Cage movie we saw where, like, people getting zapped out of airplanes and fire and brimstone falling. Okay, like, that's not... That's how all the last days means is that we're living currently, the church is living in this period of time before the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. Between his resurrection and his return, the, 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 the final day when he's going to come and fully and finally usher in the just and right reign of God across the face of the earth. We're, we're still, we're 2,000 years into the last days, okay? Does that make sense? Okay? So nobody freak out, but that's the period of time we're in. And so what we see is that Pentecost was the dawning, the dawning of that era. That's what Peter is saying. And what Peter does in our sermon is he basically, to all the, he's proving through the Old Testament scriptures that this is the new era that God's people are going into. And he, he does what any good preacher would do. And he says, our sermon text today is Joel chapter 2. Unroll your scrolls, if you have them with you. 
to the prophet Joel, and, this is, and then he quotes Joel. And in uh, verse 17, in our text, he says this, and the Lord, through the prophet Joel, prophesied this. By the way, this was over 500 years, over 500 years earlier, prior to the day of Pentecost, that Joel, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saw this day coming. And in the last days it shall be, God declared. So before I unpack all the implications of what it means to be the last days, Peter here immediately is making a profound, audacious statement. He's saying to all the people that are watching what happened uh, in the upper room, he's looking at them and he's saying, he's essentially saying this, based on what you are seeing and hearing, you have officially entered the last days. Congratulations. Welcome to the last days. I hope you enjoy your stay. We're here. We made it. He's saying this prophecy in Joel which was foretold 500 years ago, has been fulfilled today in what you're saying, in what you're seeing. And then for the second half of Peter's sermon, I'm not going to spend too much time here because Joe's going to talk about this, but for the second half of the sermon, Peter's going to beautifully articulate through the Old Testament scriptures who's responsible for Pentecost and who's responsible for ushering in the last days and who's responsible for the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is it's not margaritas that's causing everything you're seeing. It's the resurrected Messiah that's causing what you're seeing. And this is what he says in Acts 2, 32 through 33. This is what he says. This is near the end of his sermon. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So boom, right there. He's telling the, the, the Jewish pilgrims there, everyone knew about Jesus, knew what happened. He's saying we saw the Jesus that was crucified. We saw with our own eyes. He's resurrected. You cannot find his body. He's shot out of the grave, conquering sin and death and the devil forever. We've seen it. We're eyewitnesses to this, okay? And we saw him ascend to the Father. We saw him ascend. And then verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, what did Jesus do? He has poured out this, that you, you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So what, what Peter's making crystal clear, absolutely crystal clear, is what is happening at the day of Pentecost. Everyone's speaking in tongues, just being confused with drunkenness. He's saying there's one person to blame for this, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah, and when he ascended to heaven, he poured out the Holy Spirit upon God's people, right? And I couldn't help but think of, man, what a great day for Jesus, right? Like, what if the joy, you know how Hebrews talks about the joy that was set before Jesus? What if the joy, maybe that's multifaceted, there's some debate on what specifically that joy was uh, that was set before Jesus so we could despise the shame and go to the cross. And I think the joy was that day where he ascends to the right hand of the Father as the victorious king who has, who has torn down the dividing wall of hostility between a holy God and sinful humanity. And he, he, he rises, he, he ascends to the right hand of the Father as a victorious king and then he hands the keys. And then the day, the moment comes where it's move-in date for the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, to take up residence amongst God's people. And he hands the keys to the Holy Spirit. He says, hey, it's moving date. Go rushing in. And what happens is the Holy Spirit comes in like a mighty rushing wind. And what we looked at last week is it was almost the sense that I got from the text of the day of Pentecost is like a father who's been on deployment and separated from his kids. Well, Jesus, Jesus tore down that wall of separation. The deployment's over. And then the Holy Spirit comes in like a mighty rushing wind and a warm fire. And that's just, maybe that's just the, the presence of God hugging and embracing and enveloping his kids that he's been separated from from far too long, Right? So we saw the heart of God last week in that, and I believe that that was a great day for Jesus, and, and, and honestly, one of the most important, beautiful moments in the history of mankind. This, what happened on Pentecost is the visible evidence of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for the church. 
That's the, that's the reunion between a sinful humanity and the living God in his presence, okay? And then uh, moving forward, what we learn about the last days is this, is that in, in verse 17 says, in the last days it shall be that God declares that I will pour out my spirit on, our, on all flesh, okay? So what we learn in our text is that what God intended to be the norm and the standard for the church in the last days, according to Joel and what Peter is saying, is that the norm and the standard of this era in human history would be God pouring out his spirit on all flesh. Meaning this, it wouldn't be the weird and the unusual, it would actually be the norm for the church. In the last days, you and I are still in the last days, between the first and second coming of Jesus, what will be the norm? God pouring out his spirit on all flesh. And then what we learn about God is this. We learn about God is this. Is he wouldn't pour out his spirit on all flesh unless he wanted to, right? Unless he wanted to be in our midst, right? What we learn is, is, is too, is that he, he continually and abundantly gives himself away to us. He pours out his presence to us. I think often we have a view of God as, a deistic, distant God who, okay, maybe he's good, but he's kind of busy, and the way our relationship works is maybe he feels guilty with his relationship with this kid, so he'll just send gifts every now and then, right? Like, here's a gift, provision, thank you, God. Like, I don't want to bother you. I'll live my life alone, and one day we'll be with you. What we see is that's not the heart of God at all, at all. What we learn in Scripture, what Scripture clearly teaches, is that the God of the Bible is not a deistic God. The God of the Bible is a God who, who, who gives his very son so that, so that he can be all up in our space, so that he can be as close to you as humanly, physically possible. That's where God wants to be, is where you are. That's where he wants to be, it's to dwell in your midst. And then the greatest gift, what we learn is this, is that the greatest gift that God could ever extend to humanity is the gift of himself, is the gift of his presence, right? What else would you want poured out from heaven upon you? Right? What else would we want God to pour out and lavish upon us? Money, you know, uh, whatever, comfort, success, whatever. No, no, the greatest thing that we need, that we're created for, what Scripture clearly teaches, we're created by God and we're created for God. What you and I need is God's presence, his presence. Psalm 16 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and freedom. You were created to dwell in the presence of God. And where sin sought to separate you from the presence of God, Jesus made a way and poured out the Spirit of God upon all those who would receive Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he offers. That's the gospel. God's presence with you forever, forever, both now and forevermore. And there's a key phrase in this Joel prophecy. It's not just that God in the new covenant age, in the era of the last days, is pouring out his spirit like he wasn't doing that past. What we know, it says, it says, it says pouring out his spirit on all flesh, on all flesh. Okay? And the old, in the Old Covenant age, God would pour out his spirit in kind of a selective way. We would see that God's spirit was poured out on a select few for select, specific, special assignments. Prophets, prophetesses, priests, kings. Like, there were just specific people in the grand scope of all the people of God in Israel. There were select few who had the spirit of God poured out on them. And the key distinction for us in the last days, the New Covenant age, is it's not just that God would pour out his spirit, but that he would pour out his spirit lavishly. It was, it was almost universal, like indiscriminately, like the, that guy would pour out his spirit. That's the key distinction. The new covenant age is, is the scope of who'd receive this outpouring to the extent that Joel says in Joel 2 and Peter is saying is that the spirit of the living God is now available 
to young and to old, to male, to female, to rich, to poor, to people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is who God makes himself available to in Christ Jesus. The best news on the face of the earth is that you can have salvation in Jesus Christ and have the presence of God dwelling in you and with you forever. That's the best news on the planet earth. There's nothing more exciting. There's nothing better than that. And this is who Jesus Christ has made. This is what Jesus Christ has made available. And this is who God has made himself available to. Basically what Joel is saying is that everybody gets God. Everybody who cries out, it says in verse 21 of our text, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What is salvation? It's being saved from eternal separation from the presence of God. From hell, that's what hell is, is that you're not in the presence of God where you were created to be. Heaven, heaven, heaven is being eternally abiding in the presence of God. That's heaven. Hell is eternal separation from God and his goodness and his kindness. Okay, so everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So in the new covenant age, because thanks to what Jesus uh, has done, uh, God has made himself available to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, and uh, this is who God wants to make himself available to, okay? And then our text continues, and the next thing we learn, the news gets better, is this, is that the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, it looks like something. Church, like what we see in our text is that when the Spirit of God is poured into us, there's evidence of that infilling of the Spirit, okay? So Joel Let's look at uh, the Joel prophecy again in our text, verses 17 through 19. And in the last days it shall be that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Okay, so that's what we've been talking about. But then he talks about the implications of that, that there's going to be some fruit that's going to manifest through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And your sons and your daughters shall what? Shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And then he says it again, and they shall prophesy, and they shall prophesy, okay? And then he continues in 19, he says, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, signs and wonders. That the bottom line is this, is when the Spirit of God is poured into a people, into the church, there's visible evidence and fruit that manifests, okay? And that's what Peter is saying. And that's his whole line of reasoning in this, in this uh, sermon he's giving to the people around. He's saying, what you're seeing happen right now, everyone's speaking in tongues, is simply the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God falling upon them, and then there's an overflow, and then what's coming out of them is these, these, these languages, these unknown languages to them where they're testifying to the goodness of God. And that's the pattern. Listen, throughout the Old Testament scriptures, just read your Bibles, right? You can go to Numbers 11, you can go to 1 Samuel 19. 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 19 is crazy, okay? And there's a pattern. When the Spirit of God falls upon people, they prophesy. That's the pattern we see in the Old Testament. And in the New Covenant age, the key distinction is not that prophecy will be that much different. I mean, we can do a whole other sermon on that. Yes, it is different. But what we see is that the key distinction is that the Spirit of God will now be poured out on whoever trusts in Jesus. And that's why the gifts of the Spirit are today is because the Spirit of God is still being poured out on us. We're not all going to prophesy, but we all will have different gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to manifest in us, okay? And so to illustrate what I'm saying is this, right? So bear with me. This is my caps mug, okay, from my office pretty sweet, right? And this, let's just say that this is the Holy Spirit. It's going to be poured out from heaven, okay? And so often in our Christian life, we look at the filling of the Holy Spirit like this. Okay, cool. I'm, I got the Holy Spirit, but um, I don't know it's there. Nobody else knows it's there. I'm not sure the evidence. I'm not sure the purpose, but I believe I take it in faith that I'm there. But, but that's not how Scripture describes how the Holy Spirit is given, right? What we see is that when, when something is poured out into a small 
human vessel and continue poured out, what happens? There's something that bubbles up and wells out, right? There's fruit that manifests and that flows out that people can see, right? Does that make sense? So what was once hidden, nobody can see. When there's an outpouring, that comes out. And listen, when that moment happens, nobody really cares. When that moment happens, the focus is not on the mug. The focus is on what's overflowing out of your heart, right? That's what everyone sees, right? That's what happens in your life when the Spirit of God is, is poured out on you. People go, no, no, there's so, I know you. I know you. I want what's, what's coming out of you. I want the, like we would call what's flowing out of that cup, we call the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Holy Spirit are God himself, a God of love, a God of joy, a God of peace, being poured into our hearts. And what manifests, Jesus says, out of the overflow, out of the, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. That there's an overflow. Whatever's being filled in you is going to come out. And so if the Holy Spirit is filling you and you're manifesting the fruits of the Spirit of God, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, that's just God welling up and just pouring out of you, right? What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? right, prophecy, tongues, healing, that's simply God going public amongst his people. He pours out, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not natural things. It's a supernatural thing. It's God himself manifesting, overflowing out of you for his glory and for the good of others and the salvation of souls, right? And this is what we see Peter talking about, is this pouring out, that there's going to be evidence. The common refrain in the book of Acts and the common refrain for the church should be God is really among you because there's a pouring out of his spirit here, and it's attractive, and that's why we see 3,000 people come to know Jesus, and so that's the overflow specifically in Joel Church. What we need to realize is that we're still in the last days. We're still in this era where God is still pouring out his spirit on all flesh, okay, and, and, and like we can, if the water's flowing, we can quench it, right? Scripture clearly says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, and we can quench the Holy Spirit, and if through misunderstanding or through fear of abuse of the gifts of the spirit we can quench and turn away and say i want nothing to do this god stop the flow i'm perfectly safe and sound without your spirit i don't want you i don't want your presence i'm fine the way my life is well that's called quenching the flow quenching the spirit and often in our christian life we uh you know there's kind of two camps right in the christian circle there's many camps in the christian circle but there's the kind of anti-experience and the like idolatrous experience camp, okay? So the hyper-experiential camp gets all the blame for like distorting the Bible, right? So they'll take their experience of what God is saying and they'll say, hey, God told me to go rob a bank and leave my wife and kids. And I have to do that when God's word clearly says you should not do that. But, but my experience trumps God's word, so I'm gonna make God's word come up to my experience, right? We give, we give the, the hyper-experiential camp uh, a bad time, a hard time for you know, distorting God's word. But listen, that's not the only camp that does that. It's not, so please watch this. There's some of us today who have never had an experience with any of the gifts of the Spirit or heard God's voice um, or are kind of confused and all that. We just, we have an experience. And so since we have an experience, what God clearly foretold uh, in Joel, what we see in the book of Acts, and what 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 says is still available to us, since we haven't experienced that, what we do is we adopt a theology where we say, well, God doesn't do that anymore because I haven't experienced it. Therefore, guess where the Bible's going? The Bible's going down to my level, and I'm going to say that God doesn't do that anymore. Does that make sense? And we're going through the book of Acts to say God will be God, and God will do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and he hasn't boxed himself, out, boxed himself in. He has it, and we're not going to box him out through 
uh, a fear of, of weirdness or abuse of the gifts because, because God the Holy Spirit is God and we yield to his lordship in our lives and he is choosing to uh, fill his house and, and the church is his residence. So he gets to, and listen, if you're the owner of the house, you get to control the thermostat. You're talking with me, like I'm the head of the household, like thermostat, you know, whatever. Jen and I will both, you know, kind of argue over that. You control what comes in, what comes out. As the head of the household, you hold the keys to the residence. You call the shots, not the, not the guests, all right? And so that's our hope with this sermon series, is that we'd open up our hands and full surrender to the Holy Spirit and say, have your way. Where we've boxed you out, where we've quenched your spirit, where we've grieved your spirit, where you've actually wanted to operate in, in new ways in our lives, we're opening up our hands to say, come and have your way. Because clearly through God's word, as we're going to see throughout the book of Acts, that this is what God did at a point in history after the ascension of Jesus. And the only, the only hiccup is whether you believe he's still doing that again today. That's, that's it. That's it. And, and nowhere in scripture does it say he stopped being God and stopped operating in power when that's, in fact, he's given us a book that shows us from start to finish that he, that's what he does. That's what he does, okay? So this is what we see in Joel 2. It's almost as if Joel 2, the verses we read in Joel, you know, in Acts uh, 2, 17 through 19, it's almost as if what Joel is prophesying is the trailer the preview for the entire book of Acts, right? And what I mean that by that is this. In Acts, we see that the church is continually led by the Holy Spirit through prophecy, through dreams, and through visions, okay? The Holy Spirit, in the book of Acts, almost 40 times is speaking directly to his people. There's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and the living God, almost 40 times in the book of Acts, enters the scene and is speaking directly to his people through dreams, through visions, and through words of prophecy. And not just that, what we see is that in Acts 20, 21, a non-apostle, Philip the Evangelist, not Philip the Apostle, a non-apostle had four unmarried daughters, okay? They were young, meaning they were young, four daughters, and what, what would Scripture say they were? They were prophets. They were prophets, right? That's what Scripture is saying. That's what we see in the book of Acts. And we're saying, oh, everyone freaks out when you use the word prophecy. What's prophecy? Sam Storm says prophecy is simply this. It's a human report of divine revelation. All New Testament prophecy in, in the New Testament age is under the authority of God's word, okay? It's under the authority of God's word. And, and God's word gives us proper checks and balances on how to operate in the gift of prophecy in the new covenant age. And Sam Storm says it's simply a human report of divine revelation, meaning this. It's really simple. It's based on the foundation that our God is alive. He's not mute. That's what it means. It means, that, it means that what happened at Pentecost, what we see in the book of Acts, is now because of what Jesus Christ has done, the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God has direct access to his people. And this, the people of God have direct access to the Holy Spirit. That's what we see. It's based, the prophecy still continues because God is still speaking. He's still, still revealing stuff that he wants to reveal to his people. This is in your Bibles from start to finish, okay? And, and, I, and I just want to gently encourage you, if this is I'm, I'm, I'm staying in the tension of this throughout the book of Acts because, because I want to point you, in this is, how, this is God's word. And if there is any tension, you need to take it up with the text of Scripture. Okay, that's the tension there. That's the tension because I'm preaching a text today to, to you, church, that says explicitly dreams, visions, signs, and wonders. All right? And the God that I know and love, I believe through the basis of his word and my own experience, he's still the God who does that. He's still the God who's operating in power and signs and wonders and words of wisdom and knowledge and prophecy. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God we worship and serve. This is the God. This is our God. This is what he does, okay? This is the text that God wants us to dive into today. And, uh, and I'll just say this. Um, 
me take a sip of water. Let me just give you an example. Okay, personal testimony. Preaching scriptures would give you a quick personal testimony. Um, in August, okay, August of uh, 2020, Jen and I uh, had no idea of the coming transition, right? About, you know, I don't know if, you, if you're new to the transit. I took the lead pastor role in January, but I had no idea that was coming, okay? I didn't know that. And in August, we had a prayer and worship night at Joe and Workman's, Joe and Abby Workman's house, okay? And after that, Joe, after the prayer and worship night, Joe said, looks at Jen and I and says, hey, we want to pray over you. And so they're praying over us. I have the audio recording with the date of this, okay? I think it was August 28th. And as they're praying, Abby says this. Abby Workman says this. She says, hey, I feel like the Lord, I'm sensing from the Lord that you and Jen, you've been looking for something, like you've lost something. You've lost like your keys or your wallet, like that sense of you've been searching, you've been searching, you've been searching, you've been searching. And I feel the Lord saying that September will be the month you find what you're looking for. Okay? End of August. A couple, Jen and I leave and we're going, oh my gosh. That's crazy because for the last six months, God has put on our heart that, hey, we need to get ready. We really felt that there was a coming transition where, I, where we thought, I didn't, I didn't know at all. I thought Jeff was going to be the senior pastor of the church for the, for the next 10 years. I didn't know that this transition was coming. So I'm like, man, we might need to pack our bags. Like, like the Lord might be calling us. We felt this transition. We're praying, we're praying, praying. And then uh, four days later, I get a dream. I get a dream that I believe is from the Lord. I write it down. I can show you the date. And in the dream, uh, Jeff's leading an elder meeting. I'm there. It's a face of all brand new elders. And all of a sudden, Jeff leaves. And he leave, leaves me to lead the meeting. I'm staring there. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. i got to lead this elder meeting. And then, boom, the dream ends. Okay? Crazy, right? Crazy. And then uh, a couple days after that, in September, in September, Jeff comes into my office and says, hey, Nick, the Lord, Larissa and I have been praying for about a year and uh, about this decision. And we're, we're going to take the offer to go full-time with Leaders Collective. And... Uh, so I'm gonna, I want you to be the lead pastor of the church come January of 2021. And that was in September. We found what we were looking for, that searching that was over. And I will let me say, well, why, why, why would the Lord give you that dream? Why would the Lord give you that prophetic word through Abby? Well, I'll tell you what, January was a tough month, church. It was a whirlwind, right? There was a, I had a newborn. Jim was going through some serious health issues. And, and it was just, it, we went from two full-time staffers to, to one full-time staffer. And the one full-time staffer with 20 years more wisdom and experience was the one who, who the Lord called elsewhere, right? And it was crazy. And so, what, and so for me, in the, the extent of my inadequacy, I was able to go back to those words and say, no, Lord, you called me to this. You confirmed it. You confirmed it, Lord. This is the God that you are. And there's actually some other stuff that I felt like I shouldn't have shared with you for more confirmation that the Lord spoke directly to me about stepping into this. So that's what our God does, and this is what we see him do throughout the book of Acts. He leads and guides his people where they should go. Through dreams and visions, don't go to Asia, go to Macedonia, right? This is what we see. Hey, go, go here to Saul uh, and pray for him and give him the commission that I'm going to give to you in this dream and vision. This is what we see. This is what our God does, okay? And then also in Acts, you know, in, in Acts, what we see, we see this phrase nine times, signs and wonders. We see signs and wonders, right? We see this is what Joel prophesied, that there'll be wonders in heaven and signs on the earth. And nine times in the book of Acts, we uh, encounter that couplet, that phrase of signs and wonders. And that's what we see in the book of Acts, is that the Holy Spirit is operating in power, doing, performing signs and wonders amongst the people of God. People are getting healed. Uh, the lame are walking. The blind are seeing. The deaf are hearing. People are getting raised from the dead. People are uh, getting set free from demonic oppression. Those would be signs and wonders. And here are just four of the verses out of the nine. Acts 2, 43, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, Acts 5, 12, Acts 8, 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw, Acts 15, 12, 
and the whole assembly became silent as they listened to, the, to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And so the common refrain of the early church in the book of Acts was absolute mind-blowing astonishment of what their living God was doing in them and among them and through them, okay? That was the common refrain. And all it says, the evidence is overwhelming. The norm for the church in Acts was God's Holy Spirit operating powerfully through his people to advance the kingdom of God. And what we clearly learn in our text in scripture is that we're in the same age, the same era as they are, the last days, okay? If we're in the same era, the last days, and the, the key sign of that era is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh, so then it's the same era, it's the same outpouring, and then if it's the same outpouring, then it's the same evidence of that outpouring. That's the logic, right? That's the logic. And, um, and church, what I want to say is this, is this is what Jesus Christ died to give us. Like, I don't think this is, a, this is an issue of God's glory and the salvation of souls. This is what Jesus actually came to fulfill for the bride of Christ. This is his desire. John 14, 12, Jesus says this in the upper room. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater, did you guys catch that? You guys know that's in your Bible, right? And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Jesus, when he says, because I'm going to the Father, he's linking his ascension to the right hand of the Father with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So because I'm going to the Father and I'm, the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon you, you're going to do greater works than what I did. That's what Jesus is saying, okay? That's beautiful. And tragically, in the church today, we're kind of living under the privileges of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. We're kind of living under the privileges of, of the, the, the era, the age uh, that we're in, right? And so Jen grew up in Bridgewater. Anyone here know where, where Bridgewater, Virginia is? Yeah, some of you do? Okay, so it's in the Shenandoah Valley. It's two hours away. That's where uh, Jen was raised. Uh, I, <laughs> she wanted me to make sure it's not where she was born and raised. She was born in Texas, Okay, so she's proud about that, but she was raised in Bridgewater, all right? And Bridgewater is this small town, small community, and there's a Mennonite population in the community. So as you're walking around town or driving, you'll see people in a horse and buggy. You see them a horse and buggy, and, it's, and I've, even heard, I've even heard people say that they'll see like a horse and buggy in like the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, you know, which is awesome, right? Because that's how you gas up your horses is you feed them like, you know, grilled chicken nuggets. And anyways, um, but I can't help, no offense to Mennonites, I envy, you know, your pace of life, that's awesome. Uh, I disagree with your, you know, why you're doing that, but anyways, like, more power to you, we love you. Um, but I can't help when I'm seeing this going, do they have any idea what's available to them in the 21st century? Like, like instead of like, like, hey, that's great, your horse and buggy can go like zero to 15 miles per hour in 13 seconds, but you can get a car that's got like 500 horses that goes zero to 60 in like four seconds, right? Like there's a much more effective and efficient way to go about life. And, and maybe because of fear of abuse, they've seen people drive cars really recklessly and these people have harmed others and they've harmed themselves. And they go, if that's what that is, then I'm perfectly content, safe and secure in my little horse and buggy, okay? Perfect, that's what that is. So maybe it's a misunderstanding. Maybe it's, it's, it's the visible abuses of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's a misunderstanding, but maybe, just maybe, there's a gnawing in their souls as they see people fly by them in like a you know, V8 Ford Raptor just cruising. And there's this gnawing in their soul going, you know what, maybe that could be for me. Maybe that's available for me. Because I think one of the reasons a lot of us don't, um, 
don't want to operate in the gifts or want to ask for more of the Holy Spirit is we just say that might be good for other people, but it's not good for me. Well, how about this? What if it is? What if it is God's intention for you? And we're all, God's going to relate to all of us differently, right? We're, we're not all going to get the same gifts. Scripture makes that crystal clear. But we all have the same spirit of God, the same spirit that was poured out in the book of Acts is still operating in us today. And, and I hope with the sermon series, there's this gnawing going, there's so much more that God has in store for us, right? And, and it's time for us to, to get out of the horse and buggy and be willing to step into prayerfully, biblically, what Jesus has purchased for us. And the reason why is the needs are too great around us because the issue of us operating in the power of the Spirit and signs of the reason God operated in signs and wonders, the reason God operated in the gifts of the Spirit in the, in the book of Acts is it was for his glory. God is, God is most glorified in us when we are mind-blown at what he's doing and astonished and amazed and saying, oh my gosh, you won't believe what God just did, right? He gets glory out of that. And then, and then the church can be built up through the gifts we see in 1 Corinthians 14. And then what we see, and I'm wrapping up with this, we see is that 3,000 people get saved. 3,000 people get saved. And based off of what Joel 2 says is this, this is the blessing of the era we're living in. It says it doesn't matter in Joel 2, this is what he's saying. It doesn't matter if you're broke. It doesn't matter if you're an old geezer. It doesn't matter if you're a mom of 18 kids. God's word clearly says that you are all candidates of the Spirit of God working mightily and powerfully through you to preach the gospel and advance his kingdom. That's what's on the table for God's people based off of what we're reading in the book of Acts. Everyone gets to play in the game. Everyone gets to play in the game. Everyone is a candidate to be used by the Holy Spirit mightily for his purposes, and for his glory alone, so that Jesus can be exalted amongst the nations, okay? And then our text closed with this, and I'll wrap up with this. Peter continues to share the Joel prophecy, verse 19 through 21. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of of the Lord shall be saved. So what we see here is that as the return of Christ approaches, that great and magnificent day, that we will see an increase in kind of natural and human disasters is what scholars believe, kind of like the, the darkness in the sky and the moon to blood looks like. And we see Jesus himself talk about this in Matthew 24. He says there's going to be birth pains, right? Like, hey, here are the birth pains in about nine months. Guess what's going to happen, right? Like, figuratively speaking. He says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. You need to keep an eye out for the signs of the times. There's going to be famines, earthquakes, and, and plagues, kind of like the stuff you see in the Nicolas Cage movie. There's going to be an increase right before Jesus returns. And what we're commanded in Scripture is to live with a sense of urgency. Jesus Christ himself left us in Revelation 22, the very last chapter in the book of Bible. He says, behold, I am coming soon. Behold, I am coming soon. I am not making any prediction that Jesus is returning in the next 20 days, right? We're 2,000 years into the last days, and it could be another 2,000 years until the day of final judgment comes. It could be another 200 years. But listen, church, who's to say it couldn't be in 20 days? In 20 days. And if, and just, just imagine with me, for the sake of application for your hearts, and what if we knew deep down that Jesus was returning in 20 days? What would our lives look like? What would be the key, chief, all-consuming passion of our lives? As I sat in that and I reflected on that, I thought of all the people that I want to have a bold conversation with about Jesus Christ. That I've been sitting on, I've been prioritizing other things, I've been spending my time on other things. There would be, I think, an evangelistic boldness in my heart. I think there'd be a radical generosity where I'm stingy with my money. I think there'd be a radical generosity because I can't take anything with me, right? 
I can't take anything with me, my brothers. And I think there would be a joyful expectancy, church. A joyful expectancy that Jesus is coming to make all things right. Like, you don't have to live that long to realize that we live in a really difficult, painful world, a sin-cursed world. And Jesus offers us salvation out of that. He offers us his presence in the midst of it, and then eternal life when we pass from this life to the next out of that. Jesus Christ making all things right. And that's what verse 21 says. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the beautiful message of the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us. Every single human being on the face of the earth, doesn't matter what tribe, what nationality, what income, socioeconomic status, gender, so on and so forth, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Salvation can be found in no one else but the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Jesus makes it crystal clear, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one, no one can come to the Father but through me. One of the most exclusive statements in all of Scripture, but also one of the most beautiful statements in all of Scripture, because what Jesus is saying is where there wasn't a way to experience and know God, I am dying to make a way. That's what he's saying. And so if you're here today and you have never received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and you've confessed him as Lord in your life. He is seated on the throne of the universe. He is king. He created you. He created you. He knows your name. He knows all about you. He knows all of your sin. He wants to cleanse that. He wants to forgive that. He wants to give you a brand new life. He wants to fill you with the spirit of God. This is what Jesus Christ came to do. So if you're here today and you have never done that, today is the day of salvation. What would hold you back? from the good news of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you, that you can know the living God. And he can cleanse you and redeem all your brokenness. He can restore everything that sin sought to take from you. And then you can, you can find, you can actually find what your restless heart has been aching for your entire life, yearning for, saying there's got to be something more than what I'm living for. His name is Jesus Christ. Cry out to him. Salvation is found outside of ourselves. We don't save ourselves. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus done it for us. So it's an issue of trust, saying, I don't trust in myself to stand before God and give an account for my life. I trust in Jesus that he gave me the free gift of salvation where he died in my place on the cross and rose to new life so that I could spend eternity with him because he wants to spend eternity with you. That's the good news of the gospel. So if you haven't done that today, cry out to him. Today is the day of salvation. Today could be the best day of your life where you mark it on your calendar like my wife does. And we celebrate every year the day that the Lord grabbed a hold of our heart. She was a partier in high school, you know, chasing, chasing fullness of life and partying and drinking and all that stuff. And then she tasted the new wine that Jesus had to offer and her life has never looked the same. And some of you have the same story. This is what Jesus does. He gives you fullness of joy, garments of praise, life everlasting. Today, today could be the day you mark on your calendar and you celebrate every single year the, the day that Jesus saved you and rescued you from eternal separation from God. That's what Jesus came to do. That's his heart for you. So if you're watching on the live stream or here in person, cry out to Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So let me call up the band and we'll close in prayer here.
Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness. That you're a God who's relentless in your pursuit of us, Lord. That's our story, God. Apart from your grace, apart from you first calling us, we wouldn't first call on you, God. You've chased us down and you've saved us. We come before you just grateful, Lord Jesus. Thank you. That it's only through you. There's only one name in heaven on earth that man can be saved. And it's through you, Jesus Christ. You made a way where there was no way. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Come, Holy Spirit. Apply your word to our hearts, God. Give us eyes to see and eyes to believe. Whatever would cause us to doubt your word and what you're still doing amongst your people, whatever would cause us to want to quench your spirit, Lord God, would you demolish that Holy Spirit? Would you give us at the Transit Church the gift of faith, Lord God? Take off the blinders of our eyes like you did with Saul on the road to Damascus. Take off the blinder of our eyes and help us to see rightly and accurately who you are and who you testify to be in your word, Lord God. And so we thank you that you're alive, God. We thank you that you're present with us. We thank you that you're still moving and stirring in our midst. We thank you that there's nothing more exciting than knowing a living God who's still saving souls and redeeming and restoring everything that is broken in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. We put our trust in you. We gaze our eyes on you. And we, and we praise you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet you call us friend and brother. And we call you Savior. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. You're worthy of all, all of our praise, all of our worship for all of eternity, God. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen.